Thank you for joining us uh, for our online service today. Welcome to those who are gathered in our facility in groups of 10. We're continuing in our series called Wisdom from Above through the book of James. And today we're going to be talking about wisdom itself. Now, James' main concern is that the people that he's writing to, the persecuted early church, those Jewish believers who were scattered throughout the Roman world once persecution erupted in the city of Jerusalem, he wants them to live with wisdom. He wants them to live in true biblical wisdom. Many of us are familiar with Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's actually turn, before we get to the book of James, let's turn this morning to a Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs is the, is the book of wisdom. And Proverbs 9 verse 10 is the verse that we so often quote when we're looking for a definition of wisdom. What does it mean to be wise? Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to live wisely, you must Fear the Lord, you must know the Lord, you must trust the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, we so often quote Proverbs chapter 9 of verse 10, but truth be told, do we know the context of Proverbs chapter 9? Did you know that Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 is at the center of two different dinner invitations? There are two hosts that are inviting those who need wisdom, who are inviting people to come and to feast. They're, they're being invited to dinner. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 9 here. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the heights of the high places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come. Eat of my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Jumping down to verse 10, wisdom. The, the lady wisdom says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Now look at verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You see what's happening here in Proverbs chapter 9? This is kind of the sermon before the sermon. But do you see what's going on here? We have two dinner invitations. And let me just break it down for you real quickly. I'll show you this on the screen. Notice that both of these women, the woman wisdom and the woman folly, both of them are making a proclamation from the highest places in town. If you compare verse 3 and verse 14. 
Also notice that they're both giving the same invitation in verse 4. They both say, verse 4 and verse 16, whoever is simple, let him come in here. Anyone looking for wisdom, come to me. So they're standing in the same place, highest place in town. They're giving the same message, come in here. They're both inviting those that they call to to come and eat. In verse 5, the lady wisdom is inviting people to eat her bread, to, to join in a feast that she has prepared, while the woman folly in verse 17 says to eat stolen bread. And Lady Wisdom promises multiplied days and prolonged life. But the woman, folly, her way, in verse 11, sorry, in verse, um, um, in verse 18, results in death and Sheol. The chart says 11. It should say uh, verse 18. So do you notice here that there are two messages? And the two messages sound very, very similar. They're both coming from the highest places in the town. They're both saying, whoever is simple, come in here, come and eat. But the kind of food is very different. And the end result, one results in life and the other results in death. You see, when it comes to wisdom, there are two paths. There's a fork in the road that every person must choose. Am I going to choose the wisdom of this world or am I going to choose wisdom that comes from God? So the title for today's message is this. It's wisdom about wisdom. It's wisdom about wisdom. Now that might sound a little bit odd uh, to you, but so often in the Bible, when, when the Bible teaches about wisdom, whether it be in the Psalms or in, in the law or in Proverbs or here in the New Testament, we are told that there's two different kinds of wisdom. And we must be wise in choosing the right kind of wisdom. So that's where we are headed today. Uh, my uh, favorite uh, a Bible scholar is, is a person named J. Alec Mateer. He normally writes commentaries on the Old Testament, but he wrote a brilliant commentary on the book of James. And this is what he says as we come into James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, we come now to the central issue James has in mind. Is the wisdom of earth or of heaven to rule our lives. This is what it's all about. Everything James has been saying has been leading up to this point. We've come to the crossroads now. Are we going to live by the wisdom of the earth or are we going to live by the wisdom that comes from God? And then he says, no compromise is allowed. We can't go in both directions at the same time for they are true alternatives standing in contrast to each other. Notice these three things. In origin, characteristics, and results. These two different paths are different in three different ways, in their origin, in their characteristics, and in their results. So our outline today, we're going to follow that threefold format. We're going to look at earthly wisdom through the grid of, I'll show you this on the screen, through the grid of origin, characteristics, and results. Then we're going to look at the wisdom that comes from God in terms of origin, characteristics, and results. So that's where we're headed today. 
Now, let's look at the passage here together. Verse 13 begins with the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise? Who has true wisdom? Now, how in our day and age would we determine who is wise? We would say, well, let's start passing out exams. Let, let's have people take, some, take an IQ test. Let, let's have them submit a term paper. Let's have, let's have a debate to determine who is wise. Let's see how many followers they have on, on social media, and then we'll know who the wise person is. Is But look at what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James says, you know what? If you want to know who's wise, you don't need to have them write a test or a term paper or win a debate. You don't need to determine how popular or influential they are. If you want to know if someone is, if they are wise, look at their good conduct. Look at how they are living their lives in the meekness of wisdom. What we're going to gather from today's uh, uh, passage is this, is that wisdom from God produces humble hearts and holy lives. Wisdom from God produces humble hearts and holy lives. It's so clear. It's, it's right there. It says, the, his good conduct, holy lives, in the meekness of wisdom, humble hearts. He says, let him show, let him show his wisdom by his good works. Wisdom is about, it's not about what you know, it's about how you live. He says, let him show it by his works. James has already talked about works. In chapter 2, verse 13 to 26, he, he showed that faith without works is dead. And now similarly, he's saying, wisdom without works is dead. What kind of works? Well, James has already given us some examples, hasn't he? Caring for widows and orphans in their distress. Chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Refusing to show partiality based off someone's wealth or someone's ethnicity. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Controlling our tongues. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. These are the kinds of works that show that a person is wise. Wisdom from God produces humble hearts and holy lives. And he says, let him show these kind of works, not in an arrogant, boastful kind of way about, look how great I am. He says, let him show his works by the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. Meekness is part of this collection of New Testament Greek words that are often translated meek or gentle or humble. This particular word uh, refers not to weakness, but to strength that is under control. Strength under control. It, 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 it's power with tenderness. It, it, it's being strong, but also being sensitive. This is how Jesus described himself in Matthew 11, verse Verse 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And he said, for I am gentle and lowly. That's that same word, translated meekness in James 3. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. 
In Matthew 21, verse 5, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, that's the same word, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Wisdom from above produces humble hearts and holy lives. The meekness of wisdom. Then in verse 14, James talks about the opposite of that. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is the opposite of the wisdom that comes from God. This is the wisdom of that woman, Folly, who says, come and eat stolen bread. And, and this is the wisdom of this world. Now, let's think about it in terms of its origin. Its origin is described right there in verse 15. It says, this wisdom is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Where is the origin? Where does this kind of wisdom come from? It comes from this. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and and the devil. Every Christian is fighting a war on three fronts. There is a battle going on. We are under attack by three Axis powers that are trying to destroy us, the world around us, the flesh inside of us, and the devil who is our adversary. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We often talk in those terms when we think about the battle that we are all facing. James here says that there is a kind of wisdom, a brand of wisdom that is rooted in those three things. He begins by saying in verse 14, 15 that it is earthly, that it is earthly. This refers to being limited and restricted to the present material world and and time and space. To be earthly or to be worldly is, is to completely dismiss that which is transcendent, that which is eternal, all that matters, all we are living for. Worldly wisdom says we're just living for here and now. This was a perspective that was popular in the day of when James was writing. This is, this is wildly popular today, that we are just a collection of selves. There is, there is no significance or meaning to our lives. There is nothing after this life. Th this perspective was, was popularized by the German philosopher Karl Marx, dialectical materialism, that the way to sort out all of the contradictions in our world is to simply focus on the material, time and space, flesh and blood, here and now. That's all there is. That's all that matters. It's earthly. This is what, how James is describing the wisdom of this world. Secondly, he says it's unspiritual. Again, this is com completely negating any sort of sense that there's anything transcendent, any invisible uh, spiritual powers working around us, unspiritual. This is focused completely, again, on flesh and blood and the desires, the impulses, the instincts that are inside of 
all of us, unspiritual, that what should govern us are the appetites and instincts that well up inside of us. And then the last one is a little bit surprising. It says demonic. Well, how can it be that a philosophy that's just focused on the here and now and just focused on the material that's completely unspiritual and of the flesh, how could it also be demonic? Well, Satan likes to work in sort of two different ways. Sometimes he likes to work in a way where he's very, he's, he's very noticeable, where, where people are talking about him and cognizant about him, but also Satan loves to work incognito. He loves to work under the radar. And when people are trying to live according to this, this, this world in time and space and rejecting all things spiritual, they're... They are living as though they are somehow free, but they're not free. They're actually enslaved to the devil. They just simply don't know it. They are buying into the lies of the devil. You see, we can't escape the spiritual. No matter how badly uh, people in our world want to just focus on the here and now, want to just focus on flesh and blood, want to simply give in to the desires of their flesh, they can't escape the fact that Satan is continually working and lying, deceiving and dividing. Now, We've got to think about this. Verse 15, describing the wisdom of this world, was written 2,000 years ago, and yet how perfectly does God's Word speak to our world today? Are we not living in a world where people are not focused on the life after this life, and the only thing that matters is how to be as happy and how to be as fulfilled right here, right now? How unspiritual is our world? How, how much do, does, does the impulses or desires or longings that well up, how much is that determining how people live their lives in our world today? How under control is our world today by the lies of the enemy? This was true in James' day, loved ones. This is so true in our day. The origin of this kind of wisdom is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now let's talk about its characteristics. Its characteristics, self-centered pride. If you want to identify this kind of wisdom, you're going to see that, that, that what flows out of that which is earthly and unspiritual and of the devil is self-centered pride. Look at verse 16. It says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So what are we supposed to look for? This is where it came from. Now, what does it look like? It looks like bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Jealousy and ambition are mentioned in verse 16. Also, if you look back at verse 14, you see it repeated there. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy, that word bitter means to be harsh, sharp, cutting, wanting what you want, saying what you want to say with no regard for how anyone else thinks or feels about the matter. And then jealousy, wanting so badly what someone else has, not being content with what you have now, 
Not focused on what is coming to us in eternity, but living for self and living for now and therefore looking at that person or this person and what they possess or what they have or privileges that they enjoy and being filled with bitter jealousy. And then he says, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, seeking power, seeking prestige, seeking influence. Maybe this is what James was getting at in chapter 3, verse 1, where he said, not many of you should want to become teachers. Maybe James was learning that in these new churches that were started as, as persecution uh, sent the Christians out of Jerusalem, that there were people who were wanting that position of influence, wanting to teach simply because of selfish ambition, self-seeking, self-promoting, self-interested, self-important, self-righteous. Again, written 2,000 years ago, but is this not perfectly describing our world today? Obsessed with self, not content with what we have, but wanting more, jealous of what the person beside us or ahead of us has. So self-righteous, so self-obsessed, so self-interested and important. Such a focus on self. In verse 14, he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. See the connection between the heart and the mouth? If you have this in your heart, do not Boast, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we speak from the place of bitter jealousy, when we spread gossip and lies about other people to make us feel better, when we talk about ourselves all the time because of selfish ambition, when we're constantly letting the world know about what we're doing and how great we are and how self-righteous we are and all of the virtue signaling and, and everything that happens in our world, when we do those things, it says that we are being false to the truth. When, when a Christian lives that way, they are living in contradiction to what the gospel teaches. This is not the wisdom that comes from God, which produces a humble heart and a holy life. This is the wisdom that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and is filled with self-centered pride. So we've gone through the origin, the characteristics, and now let's get to the results. Let's get to the results Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There will be disorder. That word means instability, the opposite of peace. It means confusion and even anarchy. Again, think about this This. Think about this passage in terms of our own world. Think about the disorder in our culture and our society right now. How much confusion there is on subjects like sexuality and marriage and gender. Think about the beginning and the ending of life. Think about the rule of law. There is so much disorder, loved ones. We are making it up as we go along. Ethics has become a matter of improvisation. Whoever makes the loudest noise 
steers the, those who, who find themselves in position of power. We're operating under mob rule. We are making it up as we go along. There is so much disorder in our world today. And then he says there's disorder and then there is vile practice. There is vile practice. So follow the flow here from origin to characteristics to results. It starts with earthly, focusing on the here and now. And it's unspiritual. Focus on living according to your flesh. And it's demonic. Satan is working in all of that by telling his lies. And then it's, it's manifesting itself in jealousy and selfish ambition. And what's the result? How do we live out that selfish ambition? We trample on other people. How do we live out that jealousy? We speak harsh and vitriolic words to one another. That out of that fleshly, unspiritual, worldly, demonic wisdom, out of that selfish ambition and bitter jealousy flows all kinds of... James says, every vile practice, when we allow our flesh to lead, when we allow our desires, which are fueled by selfish ambition, to lead, this leads to all kinds of sexual immorality. This leads to all kinds of injustice, all kinds of racism. This leads to, to human trafficking. This leads to greed. This leads to utter evil and depravity. This is not the wisdom that comes from God. It's proud and it's unholy. But wisdom that comes from God produces humble hearts and holy lives. This is the wisdom of our world. Now let's look at the wisdom that comes from above, first in terms of its origin. It comes from, you guessed it, it comes from above. It comes from God. Look at verse 17. For the wisdom from above. God is the one who gives wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Don't follow. Don't go. Don't, don't go. Don't follow the invitation of the lady folly who is telling you to eat stolen food that will lead to death. No, fear the Lord. Heed the invitation of the lady wisdom. Wisdom comes from above. It comes from God. There is a transcendent truth. We are not just living for the here and now. We aren't supposed to just listen to whatever desires come inside of us in the flesh. Our desires are not always good. We need someone to lead us and to guide us. We need God and His Word and His Spirit. We need the wisdom that comes from above. And good news, loved ones, look back at chapter 1, verse 4. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask God, and he gives generously without reproach. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from him. So wisdom comes from above. We so desperately need wisdom. That's its origin. Now let's talk about its characteristics. Its characteristics are, could be summarized. He gives eight different characteristics here, but let me give you one phrase, God-centered humility. Not self-centered pride, like worldly wisdom, but God-centered humility. 
He lays out these eight characteristics. He says that it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, I have mentioned several times as we've studied the book of James that James is really just kind of a collection of sermons on the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. James is just continually drawing from different themes and messages that his older half-brother Jesus gave at the Sermon on the Mount. Let me show you what I mean. Look at this chart here on the screen of these eight characteristics. Almost all of them are things that Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Matthew 7, 18, a good tree will produce good fruit. And then that word sincere, which means anti-hypocritical. Matthew 7, 5 says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in your, in your own eye. This is the Sermon on the Mount right here in James chapter 3, verse 17. Let's unpack each of these words one at a time. First, purity. The Greek word there is hagnos, which is the same root for the word holy and for the word saint. People who are wise with the wisdom from above are holy ones. They are saints. They are living a life that is ethically blameless, that is free from contamination, that is not, that is not, com- that is not corrupted by sin and self, and that is not controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Living a different life, a set-apart life, a holy life. If you want to know who, if someone is wise, don't just pay attention to their words. Don't pay attention to the number of degrees that they have or, or, or how intelligent they are or how eloquent they are. Look at how they live. Are they living a holy life? Are they living a pure life? Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. After purity, it says peaceable. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We live in a world that is continually deconstructing and destabilizing. We live in a world that is continually dividing people in the name of somehow creating a more harmonious world. We are continually dividing people, categorizing people, fitting them into these different groups or identities that are held in in opposition to one another. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world. Somehow our world thinks that if we can categorize and divide people into all of these identities, then we'll be able to somehow come together. Wisdom from God is peaceable. Wisdom from God is not bringing people apart, but recognizing that all people came from one man, Adam, and that all people are are to be treated with equal dignity and respect as image bearers of God. And therefore can produce peace. They are peaceable. 
They are working towards putting things back together. Peace is not the absence of conflict or avoiding conflict. No, it's working through the conflict in order to come towards a place of peace, or in Hebrew, the shalom, this holistic, complete, all-encompassing way of unity and perfection and holiness. It's pure, it's peaceable. Second, or thirdly, it's gentle. It's gentle. We already talked about the word a meekness. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This word gentle here means equitable and fair. The best way to understand how this, or what this word means, is to, is to interpret it or understand it in its context. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, Paul is laying out to his young prodigy, uh, Timothy, he's telling him, here's what to look for when you're, when you're going to appoint elders. In our church right now, we've sent out to our own members. We sent out a survey. We want to hear from you. Who do you see that God is raising up to serve as an elder, as a pastor, as an overseer in our church family? And one of the requirements is this word, gentle. What does it mean to be gentle? Well, here it is in 1 Timothy 3.3. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. How do we know what gentle means? Well, we've, we've been... We've given, we've been given a definition here of what it's not. It's not quarrelsome. It's not violent. A gentle person, a wise person, isn't looking for a fight. They, you, do you ever have some people where no matter where you go, no matter what you do, there's always drama? There's so, they're always offended. They're always outraged. There, there's always something going on. You don't want that kind of person in charge. You don't, that person does not have wisdom. And loved ones, I mean, we just live in a world where there is continual backlash and outrage and offended over this and over that. Now, some of these things are legitimate, but some of them, it's just being outraged for the sake of being outraged. But the wisdom from above is gentle. We don't go looking for a fight. We, we are gentle. Following along this number, number four, it says open to reason. Oh, loved ones, how badly we need this in our world today that's so divided by partisan politics where people already have their minds made up on certain uh, issues. Open to reason means that you're teachable. It means that you're willing to be corrected and you won't be defensive if you're somehow proven wrong. It means that you're willing and wanting to understand and learn someone else's point of view. To be open to reason means that you're not stubborn. That you don't just fill yourself with all of the information, with a whole bunch of people that agree with you and vilify everyone that disagrees with you. No. Someone who's open to reason and gentle says, let's talk about this. I want to hear your perspective. Let's tone down the rhetoric a little bit. Let's actually get into the details and the facts. Stop calling me names, and I, I won't call you names. And let's, let's just reason with the loved ones. Our world needs this so badly. And one of the greatest ways that we can witness in our world today as followers of Jesus Christ is to show the wisdom from above by being gentle and by being open to reason. And look at this, number five, full of mercy. Full 
of mercy. Again, not easily offended, not, not easily outraged, but even in those times where we are offended, even in those times where someone does uh, uh, offend us or hurt us with what they say or with what they do, we are willing to extend mercy and forgiveness. Not cancel culture, not you said something wrong or you offended me or bothered me, so we're done, it's over. The, the conversation is, there's no more debate. It's, oh, that's, that's not full of mercy. That's not the way that God treated us. And that is not the way that we ought to treat one another. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Being merciful means you give the person the benefit of the doubt. Being merciful means that you know God has given you a second chance, so you are willing to give other people a second chance. Full of mercy, also full of good fruits. Again, this is getting back to the good works that James has been has been talking about being a doer of the word, James 1, 22. James 2, 13 to 26, not having a faith that is dead, but a faith that is proven to be alive by the works, the good conduct of our lives, James 3, verse 13. Then number seven, he says, impartial, impartial. Again, James has already walked us through this in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Not viewing people to be, to be partial means to receive someone according to the face. Not judging someone based on their outside appearance, whether it be the car they drove up in, the clothes they're wearing, the color of their skin. But treating, treating them as part of the, the universal part of humankind and treating them as an individual who is able to make individual choices, that they, they're, they're not defined by whatever category we want to put them in. And then lastly, sincere. Sincere, that word literally means anti-hypocritical. Our world so badly needs Christians as witnesses to be truly genuine, truly authentic, not perfect, not pretending, but real, genuinely caring for one another, authentically listening to other people, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. These are the characteristics that, listen, if you are a wise person, then these things must be true of your Life. If you are looking for someone to follow, to learn from, these are the characteristics. It doesn't say eloquent. It doesn't say influential. It doesn't say intelligent. Wisdom from God produces humble hearts and holy lives. Humble hearts that are peaceable and gentle and open to reason. Holy lives that are pure and full of good fruits and impartial, and sincere. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we receive from God when we receive wisdom from Him. So we've gone through the origin, the characteristics, and then lastly, the results. The results. Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The results are peace and righteousness. Peace and righteousness. And as you're writing that down today, just compare the contrast in the results. Instead of disorder, there is peace. Instead of every vile practice and all of these evil deeds, 
there is righteousness. What would you rather have? What, what outcome would, would you like to anticipate as you follow or make a choice in terms of worldly wisdom or earthly wisdom? Do you want confusion or disorder or do you want peace? Do you want every vile practice or do you want righteousness? Loved ones, the stakes couldn't be any higher. Those who, those who sow in peace will make a harvest of righteousness. You know, if you study the life of James, we don't know that much about him, but he, he appears really in two crucial times in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 21. And if you study those passages, and if you look at what James says in these key moments, Acts chapter 15, the church was ready to split on racial issues. In Acts chapter 15, the Jewish Christians were over here on this side, and the non-Jewish, the Gentile Christians were over here on that side, and the Apostle Paul was somehow caught in the middle, and Peter gets up to speak, and Paul is speaking, and in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 15, you can almost see that the unity of the church is falling apart because of ethnic differences. And James steps in, and he sows peace, and he acts as a peacemaker. Then in Acts chapter 21, again, you can read this in your own, on your own time, Paul comes back from his third missionary journey. And James knows what's going on. There's a buzz in the town about Paul. And James gives him wise counsel. He says, there's some brothers here. They want to fulfill a vow. You should go with them to the temple. You should pay their expenses. But by doing that, you will be showing them that, that, you are, that you are not contradicting or betraying your Jewish heritage in the way that you've been ministering to non-Jewish people. James was a peacemaker. He sowed in peace, and the result was righteousness. Loved ones, our world so desperately needs peace. You, you can just see people longing for it. But what the world is giving them is just perpetuating the conflict. But true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, means that we will sow peace and reap righteousness. Peace means that relationships are based off trust, mutual respect and understanding, harmony, integrity, and stability. You think about, we're talking a lot about our culture at large, but how many, just of, our, how many of our families just need that right now? How many of our just parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships, brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister, aunt and uncle, niece and nephew, all of these relationships, how many of these relationships, how many of these friendships, how many of our neighborhoods just need a sense of harmony and trust, mutual understanding and respect, integrity and stability? We, we can... We can wax eloquent all day long about what's wrong in our society and our culture, but loved ones, it starts, it starts in the little society of our household and our neighborhood. Loved ones, it starts in our church. Are we going to sow peace? It, it all, really, if you read all of these characteristics, they're all relational. 
peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. You can't be gentle unless you have someone to be gentle to. You can't be open to reason unless you have someone to reason with. It's all rooted in, you can't be full of mercy until you have an opportunity to show mercy to someone. They're all rooted in relationship. And so, loved ones, we won't be able to live rightly in relationships with one another until we get one very important relationship right. And that's our relationship with God. That's when we look up and we say, God, we need your wisdom. That's when we begin to, to understand that Jesus is our true source of peace and righteousness and wisdom. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I, give, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. If we're going to have healing and harmony and peace and righteousness in our relationships, if we're going to have peace in our relationships, we need to receive peace first and foremost from Jesus. Peace must be received from him. Loved ones, it's also true of righteousness. We don't have a righteousness that comes from our own. Look at what Paul said in, in Philippians 3, verse 9. If our relationships are going to be righteous, we must receive righteousness from God. Philippians 3, 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We sow peace, we reap righteousness. Peace comes from Jesus. Righteousness comes from Jesus. And again, all of this is wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? We get wisdom from Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 30. And because of him, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. If we're gonna see this world healed, if we're gonna see the brokenness in our world rebuilt and restored to a place of peace, loved ones, we need peace from Jesus. And it starts with us. If, if we're going to see the vile practice in our world, if we're going to stem the, the tide of, of rampant immorality in our culture, it begins with us receiving the righteousness that comes from God. If we're going to reject the wisdom of this world, we're going to make sure that we receive the wisdom that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Loved ones, it all begins with our relationship with Him and then out of that, it overflows to our families, our communities, our church, and our world. So I want to ask us right now just to take a few moments. We're going to have an opportunity to respond uh, in worship. And I want us to reflect on the gospel. I want us to reflect on the vile practice and the disorder that we've been guilty of. And I want us to reflect on the righteousness that Christ has given to us. I want us to, to focus on the conflict that we once had with God as we were living in opposition to him and how he has brought us peace. And I, I, I want us to think about how unrighteously we were living and how he has imputed his righteousness to us through his blood. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, be with us now as we sing in response, as we reflect on the gospel, Lord, as we reflect on the love that was poured out for us on the cross in your infinite wisdom. Lord, help us to get in a right relationship with you so that we can receive wisdom from you, the wisdom that comes from above. Be with us now as we respond in song. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.